Hear me okay? Clear enough? Good, great. Hope you enjoyed a nice cup of coffee, or tea, or cold drink. And uh, boys and girls will carry on. I, I don't, I think we'll, I don't think they're coming back at the end, are they? Where's Peter? No, they're not. Okay, they'll, so we'll, we'll but we will have a chance to respond ourselves um, to God's word at the end and then spend some more time together before we go. While, while others are coming in, uh, just to, to mention one thing, should I put this up higher? Would that be better if it's not closer to my mouth? Does that help or? No, okay, anyway. Um, Saturday, this coming Saturday, is St. Denny's Church Fate. It's a really big, big deal in St. Denny's. Um, and uh, we, were, we had a great time yesterday at lunch. And Claire, one of the church wardens, was talking about uh, if there was anybody who could get involved in helping at the Fate, they would really appreciate that. There's only about, I don't know how big the fellowship is, maybe 40, 50 30 in that kind of area. Um, particularly, they need somebody to do face painting. Now, I know we've got some great face painters because I've seen the results on fun days. Uh, so if you love face painting and you're just desperate to do a bit more and you'd like to help our brothers and sisters at St. Denny's, then ask me or Peter afterwards, or Peter, I think, because uh, uh, we're out of here after this for a, a couple of weeks away. Um, and uh, there's an email you can get in touch with to offer your services uh, on next Saturday. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for just your goodness to us as we've experienced that in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that like your people uh, in your word, we can rejoice in all that you've given us. We can celebrate that together. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and, and listen to your word. Thank you that we can worship you. We pray for the boys and girls and young people in their groups now. And we pray too, Father, that you would speak to us here as we uh, spend this time in your word together. So draw near to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here last week, uh, or you've listened to it on the web, or picked up a CD, you'll know uh, that we're looking into a part of the Bible in the Old Testament from a time when God's people, the Israelites, uh, returned from exile in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they're coming back to Jerusalem actually as a result of a, a piece of legislation that the, uh, as, the boy, as the girls, it was all girls, wasn't it, told us about in the sketch, a piece of legislation that the government of Babylon had brought into being, telling people that they had to go back, telling them they had to go back and build the temple of their God in Jerusalem. So they've come back with this purpose of rebuilding the temple. And the temple was this place that symbolized how God lived among them as his people. That was what it was all about. For almost 70 years, they'd been away. They'd been away from their land. They'd been away, not away from God in one sense, because they knew God was with them, but, but away from the very kind of center of appreciating his presence with them. They'd been in exile now God has moved in history, as we saw last week, and he's moved in their hearts, and some of them have come back. And, and as we saw last week, there are lessons here for us. Not lessons about building a building, that's not the big deal, but lessons about what it means to be a community of God's people, 
where God lives among us as his people. That's the big deal. That's what the New Testament tells us is how it works today. Since Jesus came, God's people are his temple. God lives in us by his spirit together as his people, as Ephesians tells us. And as individual believers too, God makes his home in us individually by the Holy Spirit. So we're not really talking about building projects, but we are talking about what it means to be God's people where he lives among us. And we thought last week, are there kind of times when we're in a a, a kind of exile ourselves, where there's that feeling that we're away from home, away from where we should be with God? What does it mean then to move back to the place where he wants us to be, where we know his presence among us, in us again in a new way. Because if there's one lesson of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and this period of the Israelites' history in the Old Testament, it's this lesson, that being in exile is not the norm. It's not God's normal purposes for us. However we get there, and in the uh, Israelites' case on this occasion, it was God's judgment on their sin and their rebellion. However we get there, it's meant to be a temporary state. And that's a really key thing. So last week we saw how God was moving in the big picture. We heard about the the law changing. We saw how the Israelites as well were able to move out of comfortable exile. You see, exile in Babylon wasn't that bad. So we saw last week, it's a pretty good place to stay. It was a, you know, it was a great show, as the, as the sketch showed us. Yeah, they did. Some of them would have made a shed load of money in Babylon. It was pretty darn good there. And, and getting on the road and traveling, I don't know how, how many days on foot or camel or donkey. We'll read about how many of those in a minute or two. That wasn't going to be an easy journey. And to go back to a, the, their old place, which 70 years ago had been smashed to pieces and beaten up and start rebuilding it again, that was not an easy thing to do. But something impelled them. They got hold of something about God. They realized, as we saw last week, who God was and how he was moving among them. And a question for us is, well, if you're there in exile, what might move you? What might move me? What might move us out of comfortable exile back into a place where we know what God wants for us again? living and moving among us. So let's see what happens next. It's in Ezra chapter 2, and we'll read from, I think we'll go from verse 64. It's a great story. It might come on the screen. If you've got a Bible, there are a few Bibles in the pews. You can actually say Bibles in the pews now, and it's true. We are in pews, and there are Bibles in the pews. (laughs) I used to say it, and it should have been chairs. So there we are. Um, Are you okay? Do you want to move around a bit? You know, the the pews could be difficult. Because the problem with preaching in the pews is that the longer I stand up here, the shorter I have to go and sit back there again, you see. So that kind of, that, 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 that works the other way. <laughs> so, the whole company numbered 42,360. This is on page 475, rather, uh, of the Bibles, if you're reading the Bible there. Besides their 7,337 men servants and maid servants, and they also had 200 men and women singers, it's good, 200 men and women singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. And when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 
61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 miners of silver, and 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own homes, own towns, along with some of the other people. And the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. So what happened? They come back to Israel again, to Palestine again. Most of chapter 2 is about a list of who went. We read the summary. About 50,000 of them go back along with their animals. And they arrive at the ruined temple site, at the place where they've they've been ordered by the government to go and rebuild. Uh, And they see that it's in a big, bad state. And they have a great big offering. It says that they had a free will offering according to what they could give. And it gives us a total there, and it's a great deal of money. Uh, The NIV gives you a footnote with the different weights. It was a lot of money they freely gave, but there were 50,000 of them, so I guess they had quite a lot between them to give. But they're responding to God, aren't they? Their giving is a response to God's goodness to them. It's kind of out of their free will, out of their hearts. And as they do that, they're kind of underlining at the beginning, this is why we've come back, we've got this job to do, so the first thing we're going to do is put some money, all the money that we can afford, to make it possible. Now we'll read later that Cyrus the king, who sent them, who changed the law, he was giving them grants actually. They did have grants, or they were going to get grants, but still they thought it's good to give out of our response to God and his goodness. They want to be part of it, and they meet the need. And giving, for us, is like that. We do it freely. We do it according to what we can. We don't have to, but we want to. Um, And we do it, we don't give what we haven't got. If we've got enough spare, we are able to give. That's it, beginning and end. And we do it as a way of being part of something. It's a good thing to do. It is, as we saw in 1 Corinthians, it's normal for Christian believers to be givers out of their income, out of our time, out of something we give back to God. So off they go, then they get back and they do that, and then they go and settle in the various towns where they originally came from. And it seems as if they've made a commitment to do the job. They've said, okay, let's get our priorities straight. We'll come back and we're going to do that. We put some money on one side, but we've got to go back and you know unpack and settle in our towns and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's fine. There's no criticism in that. The, the, the story doesn't imply they did anything wrong because they decide they're going to come back together to Jerusalem again. It's good to be realistic, isn't it? We're learning that. You know, we've given money before the building started. It's a way of saying, well, we're committed to this thing. You know, we've set aside the money, and it's going to start. So let's read what happens next, because it gets more interesting. Chapter 3, verse 1. When the seventh month came... And the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, or Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, he was the the ruler, the political leader. Uh, Joshua is the high priest, he's the priest, the spiritual leader. They began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in um, the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, 
with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought, sorry, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Let's look at what happens. <laughs> They're having a good time out there. Should we try and beat it? Should we have a shout? <laughs> the seventh month was a, was a big one for gathering in the kind of Jewish calendar. If you look into the earlier parts of the Old Testament, there was a feast of trumpets for about a day, a special holiday on the first day. And then the Day of Atonement was on the tenth day of the seventh month. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, was on the fifteenth day. And that lasted for a week. It's great. It's a bit like a jubilee. Loads of bank holidays and days off happened on the seventh month in their, their kind of life. But we're told that they come together for a particular purpose, it says. They assemble as one man in Jerusalem. What do they come to do? They come to build something. What do they come to build? The temple? That's what they came to build. That's why they were there. No, it's not actually, is it? It's the altar. The first thing they do is build the altar. That was the bit in the temple where the temple was finally built or rebuilt, where the sacrifices were made. It seems strange, isn't it? Why, why would all of them? It says they all came as one man. As, uh, you know, all of them came together as one bunch to build the altar. I mean, it wasn't that big. You know, how many people do you need to build the altar of the Lord? Would have been a bit bigger than Rachel's superb effort at altar building over there. But I guess it wouldn't have been that much bigger. I don't know. It may have been like those ones. I don't, I'm not sure. They're different kinds of altars, by the way. We won't talk about that now. So, why did they do that? Why didn't they build the temple first? Surely you think, if you're going to build a temple with an altar in it, you build the temple first, and when the temple was made, ready, you'd put the altar in it, and then you'd start using it. That would be the kind of logical thing to do. What did it mean? What does it tell us about their priorities? What does it tell us about priorities for people who want to know God living with them? What did it mean for them? Verse 2 gives us a clue the altar of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. They want to sacrifice burnt offerings. That was the offering we did a bit of a series last summer, was it, or the summer before, about the offerings in Leviticus. And do you remember the, the burnt offering is the first one? And that's the one where all of it gets kind of consumed in the flames. Nothing was left, nothing for the priest, nothing for anyone else. The whole lot was all consumed uh, on the altar. And do you remember what the purpose of it was? Well, it was the way that they knew God would deal with their sin. The burnt offering, the, that burnt offering was at the heart of their relationship with God. As we learned when we looked at it, they knew every Israelite who came with a sacrifice on that burnt offering knew they deserved to die knew that God was holy, knew that sin was terrible, big sins, little sins, however, any kind of sins, they're all the same in God's sight, and we're all wiped out in God's holiness. 
And each Israelite knew that and knew that God had said to them, if you bring uh, an animal that goes through the judgment fire, instead of you, you'll be forgiven. That's what they did. If you want to check it out, I think the Leviticus series may still be online if you want to review that. Uh, But that's what it was about. Sin was dealt with. It was a place where their sin was sorted out. It was also the place where God said he would meet with them. In Exodus 29, 42 to 43, uh, that might be coming up, actually. Is that coming up, Bill? Just uh, interesting to read it. This is God speaking to Moses about the burnt offering or the altar. No, that's not it. <laughs> Don't think that's it. I'll, I'll read uh, Exodus uh, 29, 42 to 43. For generations to come, says God, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That was what preceded the the temple. Before the Lord, there I will meet with you. There also I will meet with you and speak with you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. That was the place God was to meet with them. It was a symbol of God's meeting with them. See, verse 3 tells us they were afraid of the people around them. They were in a hostile place. If ever they needed to know that God was with them, it was as they were on that kind of new venture. And the altar reminded them of that. And as Ezra tells the story back in Ezra 3, in verse 6, he really underlines it. See that in verse 6? On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings. That's the first thing. This offering that symbolized sin being dealt with, that symbolized God being with them, they did that first of all, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not been laid. Nothing had happened, but they did this one thing first. They do this before anything else. Do you see why they do that? They just wanted to know, they needed to know that they were secure in God. They needed to know that he was with them. They needed to know his forgiveness. They needed to rejoice in his presence. They needed to know that they need not fear. And that was more important than building the temple straight away. The temple was important, but something else was more important. It was a priority it's what today's about. Because without this, with this, without this knowledge of God's, God's relationship with them, the forgiveness that they needed, his presence with them, then there was nothing to build for, was there? It was just going to be a building, an empty temple. Now what does that mean for us? We don't make sacrifices on altars. But we do know that our sin needs to be forgiven. We do need to know that God is with us. We know that Jesus is the sacrifice. We know that he has done it all. We know that he died as our substitute in our place on the cross. We know that he was judged so that we can be forgiven. And we know that through him we can know God as our father and our friend. That is the most important thing. That's the priority. We need to get that sorted. We need to know that that's true of us and that we've trusted him. And as believers, we need to keep that in mind. We need to keep coming back to him. It's 
why communion is something we need, we do more often. Whenever we do that, we're reminded of this fundamental truth. We need to repent of our sin regularly. Uh, in this church, I guess, every Sunday morning, they, they say the confession. It's a good thing to do. To confess our sin, to be reminded of God's presence. We need to make sure that there's a priority in our lives of responding to God, of getting to know him better. To be living as people who are forgiven because the sacrifice has been made. Meet people who know that God is near us because of Jesus' promise and the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is our priority, worship. John 4, Jesus told the woman at the well, the Father is what? Seeking worshippers. God wants worshippers. That's the first thing. Romans 12, verse 1, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God. So here's the question. Is that altar built in your life? Is it fallen apart? Is it still there in my life? You see, our relationship with God is not just all about activity, about the good stuff that we do for God, good though that is. Let's make sure that the relationship with God in our lives is real, is fresh, is alive, is based on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. And if there's stuff in the way that we get those things dealt with and we come back to him. They knew that was most important. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? You know, those two sisters that Jesus visited and Martha was all busy and flustered. It's a great story. We'll come, I think we're going to do Luke, actually, when this series is over. We'll, we'll do that. I bags preaching on that, but I suppose Lou will probably get it. Uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a great little story of, 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 of how, you know, that Mary, the sister who takes the priority of sitting with Jesus over the other one who's out there, you know, busting around, rattling pots and making a lot of noise and, and getting very frustrated. The thing is about the two is that Jesus says, Mary chose what is better. She chose it. Let's make that choice in our lives. Let's make sure for us as individuals and as a community that the altar is there. That what matters most is in place. Much more quickly, I hope, verse 4. The second thing they do, they celebrate. Verse 4. Uh, they, in accordance with what is written, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And we, you know, what happened, a bit like over there, probably a bit more substantial than what we have over there. No offense, Liz, but she's not here anyway. But anyway, uh, it, it would have been like that. They, what they did, they camped out for a week. Uh, everybody camped out, and they, they did so to remind themselves how God uh, met their needs when they lived in tents after leaving Egypt very intense festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, as it were. It's a joke. Come on, wake up. I know the seats are hard. <laughs> I think you're, so you're getting it now, aren't you? Yeah. Um, part of God's big purposes. Anyway, the key thing about the Feast of Tabernacles is that everybody got involved in it. Deuteronomy 16. Do we have Deuteronomy 16, Bill, or, or is that a problem? Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 to 15. No, that's not it. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Bill. You're doing a great job under great pressure. Thank you. Deuteronomy 16. Okay, right, there it is. Thank you. 
Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. So that was what happened next, yeah? Can we go on, Bill? Or be joyful at your feast. They're actually commanded to be joyful. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Be joyful at your feast. Now, who's involved? You, your sons and daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, the Levites, the aliens. That's not, you know, um, the ex-files. That's people who were native to Israel. The fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. Everyone, it says, is, is to get involved to be joyful. For seven days, celebrate the feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. That's Jerusalem. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvests and so on. And your joy will be complete. It was a joyful festival. It was an amazing festival. Celebration and joy flow out of this security in their relationship with God. With the priority there, so joy flows. Celebrating God's goodness together. That's why we gather on Sundays. It's great that we can all come here because we do need to gather together as a community to celebrate God's goodness as we've done. Is it like that enough? Do we have enough joy when we're together? Well, we don't want to be superficial, but it is good to be joyful, isn't it? One of the things that comes out of getting the altar in place when we're rejoicing in our relationship with God as we get that priority of our relationship with God sorted, then when we come together, we've got something to be joyful for, haven't we? When it's a time of open worship, or when it's a time to say, go and write something that you're thankful to God for, you know, you've got something to, to write on a piece of paper, because in the week, we've kept that altar burning, so to speak. So they celebrated, secondly. Celebration, great thing to do. Third thing, they were united. Verse 1 says, they assembled as one man. And the Feast of Tabernacles, especially as we saw, was about them being together. Unity is precious. We need that too, don't we? God was at work among them together. But we also see that their unity flows out of their obedience to God's word. Did you notice that? There's two references in these six verses to their Bible. They didn't have much of a Bible then, but what they did have is referred to here. Not not much in the sense it wasn't much good, but there wasn't as much of it, is what I'm trying to say. So look at verse 2, second half of verse 2. They do this in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then verse 4a, they celebrate the Feast of uh, uh, Tabernacles. Sorry, not 4a, where am I? Yes, I do. In accordance with what is written, yes, verse 4a. Twice what is written is referred to. God's people coming together to obey God's word, moved by God's spirit, it's a powerful combination. Let's pray for more of it, shall we? Let's not do anything to threaten this unity that comes out of obedience of God's word, celebrating God's presence. It's a precious thing. Let's you know, work and pray and, as uh, Paul says in Ephesians, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So then, priorities. Before we get into loads of activities, all that good stuff we want to do for God, and I know, uh, you know, talking to a church, and I'm part of it as well, uh, you know, we're very active in our kind of spirituality. We love to do stuff, don't we? 
And that's great because it means that we can have some good time doing stuff and we can praise and glorify God. But before we do all that good stuff, is unity something we care about? Are we looking for ways to obey God's word together? Something to think about as your house group. Do we celebrate with others? Do we know joy in all of what God has done for us and all that he brings into our lives that we can spill over when we gather together like this as part of a living community of actual flesh and blood people who are alive sitting next to you? I think, you better check if you want, nudge them. See, there's no substitute for being with a real community of real people. I know lots of us find maybe God TV and... uh, I don't watch, actually, I can't get God TV, so I don't have to make the choice. But, um, you know, some of us find the TV helpful. Maybe there are some helpful shows on God TV and other Christian TV channels or, you know, Premiere or UCB or something like that. That's great, yeah. If it's good stuff, it's good. But it's not like being with real flesh and blood people, is it? Some of us enjoy listening to stuff on the internet. And that's all right, that's good, that's helpful. I listen to a an amazing message last week, two weeks ago. It's really powerful, challenging. But it's not like being with you guys, is it? You know, it's not like being here with each other. Unity, real unity, celebrating. Is the altar built into your life, into mine? So we know that Jesus is our sacrifice and we live in that. We confess our failures, we work out forgiveness. We long and we work and we pray for that daily experience of his presence. See, the altar burned every day, day, evening and morning. There was a a sacrifice on the altar. There was that rhythm of personal worship as well as the corporate celebrations in Israel's worship life. Is that so for me? Is it so for you? And are we givers as we can, being part of what God is doing? All of this, you will notice, is about what we are as believers in relationship with God through Christ. What we are. This is more important than what we might do for God. What we are matters most. And worship is where all of that gets put back into place again. Let's get back, if we need to, to what matters most. Let's keep coming back to that heart of worship, as the song says. Let's pray and we'll respond uh, in the final part of our service. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be those who, like Mary, in that uh, encounter with Jesus, choose what is better. We pray that our priority may be to to know your forgiveness and to live in that forgiveness because of Jesus, our sacrifice. Lord, we pray that we, our priority may be to consciously live our lives in your presence, to work that out as you lead us, to find ways to, as it were, keep that sense of dependence upon you day by day alive. We want to pray, Lord, that we may know what it is to continue and to go even deeper and and to know much more about celebrating your goodness together. We pray for unity, particularly in this time where there's so much change around us. We want your unity because we want to obey your word together. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to, before we, we do anything else in terms of serving you, may we know that what we are before you, that safety and security and peace of knowing that, Lord, you've done everything for us. And uh, if no one else can see anything else about us, when it's just each of us and you, Lord, in that place, we know where we are because of Jesus. May we know that, Lord, each of us, and may we know that together. May we know you dwelling in us individually and among us together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.